We're going to have some fun today discussing the head coaches in the Big East to close out the show, but we do have to lead with the unfortunate news out of USC that Bronny James, son of NBA legend LeBron James, suffered cardiac arrest at a practice on Tuesday morning. What does that mean for Bronny and USC going forward? We'll discuss right here on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. You are Locked On College Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey folks, welcome into a Wednesday edition of the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, the only daily national college hoop show out there, part of course of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host, Andy Patton, thrilled to be joined later in today's show by Matt St. Jean, the one of the writers at Road to the Garden, a longtime podcaster about the Big East. We're going to talk all about the Big East head coaches, some fun conversation and debate there. But of course, we lead today's show with one of the biggest news, not in college basketball, but not in college athletics, but in sports in general. Tuesday morning, a report came out first by Sham Sharania of The Athletic that Bronny James, the son of Los Angeles Lakers superstar LeBron James, suffered cardiac arrest at a practice for USC where he's going to be an incoming freshman this upcoming season. I'm just going to go ahead and read the statement that was released by USC because that is, as we're recording this right now, the most up-to-date information that we have on the circumstance. Here is the quote. Yesterday, while practicing, Bronny James suffered a cardiac arrest. Medical staff was able to treat Bronny and take him to the hospital. He is now in stable condition and no longer in ICU. We ask for respect and privacy for the James family, and we will update media when there is more information. LeBron and Savannah wish to publicly send their deepest thanks and appreciation to the USC medical and athletic staff for their incredible work and dedication to the safety of their athletes. This is really horrifying. I don't know how else to say this. Uh, It's scary. It's, uh, I mean, a reminder of the fragility of life. And one of those things that we're starting to see, or we have seen a few incidences like this, they tend to cause spark a lot of debate on some of the darker corners of social media and the internet, which we're not going to get into here. Uh, These things do happen. They are rare seeing this happen after it happened almost exactly a year ago to another player at USC in Vince uh, Iwachukwu, who ended up playing 14 games for USC last year after suffering a similar cardiac arrest at a similar time in the year. Those two things happening at the same program is a coincidence, a very scary coincidence, a very odd coincidence that it was the same program. But a coincidence, nonetheless, there's not really any reason to connect those two things uh, outside of the obvious connections that already exist, but these things do happen. They happen to high level athletes. Sometimes it's frightening. Uh, It's it's somewhat unexplainable. Um, One in a thousand people suffer cardiac arrest. This is per the athletic, uh, an article about Bronny James's situation Uh, about one in 50,000 or even as high as 80,000 young athletes die from cardiac arrest. That is not a super high percentage. Of course, that's that's very rare for that to happen, but again, it, it, it does happen. And it has happened historically, but uh, it is weird to have seen these two circumstances happen at USC in back-to-back years. And of course, it's going to make a lot of headlines when it happens to somebody as in the public eye as Bronny James has been. I mean, one of the most highly touted, highly sought after, highly uh, scrutinized incoming freshmen that we've seen in college basketball in a half decade since Zion Williamson. Like he is that level of famous not necessarily that level of talent. We know that his fame stems primarily from 
being the son of LeBron James, but uh, Bronny did a tremendous amount of work to put himself in a position where he is not just a recruit who is getting power five attention because of his dad. He worked really hard to push himself, to better himself, to be in a position where he's actually going to contribute. And when he does get drafted in the NBA, hopefully, you know, right now his basketball status is incredibly up in the air, but if he's able to return to form, he has the talent to be a legitimate NBA player. He may still get overdrafted because of the LeBron James effect and wanting to play with his son, but right now none of that matters. It just doesn't. The, the, the priority right now is getting Bronny James fully healthy, figuring out what the heck happened. Like, why did this happen? Is there an underlying medical condition? The, you know, they do physicals for incoming student athletes. And I suspect that Bronny has probably been to the doctor and has been checked out. Uh, certainly he has now if he hadn't pre previously. So if there is some kind of underlying medical issue or heart related issue, uh, hopefully that is not the case because it could seriously jeopardize his ability to to continue to play basketball, not in the, not necessarily even in the NBA, but even in college. Um, but hopefully if that is the case, they find it. And if that is what needs to happen, it would be very tragic to see Bronny James's basketball career end before he really gets a chance to show what he's capable of doing. But it would be better than the alternative of continuing to play when there is a medical issue that can lead to things like this. I mean, this is terrifying. And I think uh, right now there not being an update on his future is good. I think that the priority should be his health, his safety, his well-being, and a, a good hard look at what caused this, what needs to change going forward. I'm not going to pretend to be a medical professional. I'm a college basketball podcaster, so I'm not going to, to dig into this a whole lot more in terms of what may have happened, how it may have happened, anything like that. Uh, we've, you know, we've seen it before. DeMar Hamlin, of course, incredibly public uh, cardiac arrest on the football field between the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals last year uh, was resuscitated by the athletic training staff effectively. They saved his life. Uh, he is okay. He continues to be okay. And he continues to be a champion and advocate for, um, for defibrillators and, and other medical supplies being in high school gyms and being in public places where they could be needed. And if anything good comes out of this, out of what happened with Bronny and what happens with Damar Hamlin continued emphasis on safety for athletes would be a positive thing beyond that. I think the positive thing, too, is recognition for the medical staff that does exist and that do do these things. My best friend is an athletic trainer uh, at the college baseball level. He's been doing it for a decade. He's extraordinarily good at his job. And uh, I don't think that it's an industry that gets as much recognition as it probably deserves. Um, oftentimes, when you see them on the sidelines. It looks like they're handing out a lot of waters and handing people towels and, and maybe checking out a bloody nose here and there or whatever. And and. The, what they do on a day-to-day -day basis is so much more complex than that. They have to make really tough decisions in short periods of time to decide whether a player can continue to play, whether their health, you know, at what point does their long-term safety supersede? And, and often it's with just like physical injuries, like their arm or their knee or their shoulder or whatever. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's a situation like this where you have to resuscitate somebody when you're least expecting it. And it's a, a really difficult industry to work in. And I think if for if we don't want to have any other takeaways right now and we don't want to speculate too much on Bronny's future as a basketball player because there's just not anything to really speculate on right now, we just don't know, I think a big takeaway out of this conversation and out of this story is continued celebration of what 
athletic trainers do, what team doctors do. Uh, really, it can extend all the way to medical professionals in general outside of just the sports world because uh, at the end of the day, these kind of things can happen and they will happen. And having people there who know how to react, who know what to do, is literally the difference between life and death. Um, Ronnie could have died. I mean, it could have happened here. I don't know all of the specifics. I don't know how serious you know, uh, it was in the moment, but I know that it's, it's, it's cardiac arrest. It's pretty darn serious. His heart stopped. And for the medical staff to have reacted the way that they did may have saved a life here. It certainly did in DeMar Hamlin's case. And if nothing else, let's celebrate the people whose job it is to, to help us make sure that these hor- horrible stories aren't more horrible is the best way to put it. We will continue to hear more updates on Bronny James. And as we do, we will talk about them here. And at, 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 when it becomes appropriate, we will have the conversation about what this means for USC basketball and what this means for, uh, for the team next season. But right now, I think it's just keep him in your thoughts, keep him in your prayers if that's something that you're into, and hope that this is a, a story that we look back on as a part of Bronny's journey, but not necessarily something that fully derailed him. Not a great way to transition out of that, but we have a fun conversation to close out the show talking about the coaches in the Big East. They are littered with talented head coaches, and we're going to take a stab at ranking them, including some surprises right at the top. All of that coming up soon, but first, today's episode of the Lockdown College Basketball Podcast is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn jobs because LinkedIn jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. It's so easy. You just create a free job post and then you just add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions can make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience. So you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and ultimately hire. And let's be honest, the right team member can have a positive and measurable impact on your business. This is why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That is linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Folks, I want to thank all of you for making Locked On College Basketball your first listen or your first watch of the day later in the week. Leaf Tulin will join my co-host Isaac Shade to break down this incredible Maui Invitational field, talk all things Maui, and what's going on. We'll come back on Friday with some more fun content for you as well. For now, though, we're going to join our conversation with Matt St. Jean of Road to the Garden, ranking all of the coaches in the Big East. It's going to be a fun one. Check it out. I am thrilled to be joined here to close out the show with Matt St. Jean of Road to the Garden, covering all things Big East hoops. Matt, really excited for this today. Going to take a chance to look at all of the coaches in the Big East, go through them one by one, talk about who we would want to lead our program going forward. It's going to be a lot of fun. Thank you for taking the time to come on the show once again. I'm excited for this. I'm excited to make some Big East fan bases really mad by mm-hmm. underrating their head coaches. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll just uh, I'll explain briefly here for those listening what we're what we're planning to do here with the the exercise effectively is that we are Big East athletic directors and we haven't specified teams, although that is an important part of this conversation. But we're effectively going to pretend we're hiring a head coach without a lot of other 
rules or stipulations around it. We're hiring a, a coach out of the 11 current Big East head coaches. And so Matt is going to pick first. I always let the guests pick first. I will pick second. He will go after that. And we're just going to go down the line, basically picking who would be our preferred head coaches with the understanding that a program like DePaul probably has a different need than a program like Villanova or a program like Butler or Marquette. We're not necessarily specifying that, but we can have those conversations within each coach of like, hey, if I was a program desperate to get back to the tournament, I'd probably lean in this direction. Whereas if I was a program that's maybe hiring a coach for the long haul, I might go in this direction. Obviously, there are stipulations there, but this is a co conference with a ton of high level talent at the head coach position. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun to take a look at what kind of direction we would want to go. So Matt, I'm going to turn it over to you with the first pick in the 2023-24 Big East head coaching draft. Who would you select to lead your program going forward? Well, let's just start and make people mad early in this episode, Andy. And it, I don't, I'm not, I'm not sure this guy is the best head coach in the Big East, but I feel like I can't go any other way with this pick, given mm -hmm. that he's the current defending national mm -hmm. champion. There's nobody who's coaching better right now in college basketball and recruiting better than what Dan Hurley has yeah. done at UConn. Uh, and I think uh, and I, you look at his track record, he was very good at URI. You could tell how hard of a job that is by what has happened to that program in the years since he left. Things have gotten really, really rough for them there, even with Archie Miller now trying to dig them out of the hole that they're in. That program fell off after he left. UConn has immediately risen back to national prominence, brought in some of the best recruiting classes in the country. You can see that dominant run to the national championship. Still have questions about, you know, the, the emotions that Dan Hurley shows on the sidelines mm -hmm. and his actual game to game X's and O's. I think mm -hmm. he's fantastic, but I think we've also only seen one year of him doing both of those things at a truly elite level. But it was last year. And mm -hmm. if I'm an AD and I have to hire a coach, I, I'm not going to pass on hiring the guy who won the championship last year. We'll start with Hurley. I think it's, it's really hard to not start with Hurley. I, that makes yeah. so much sense to me. If, I mean, in real life, an athletic director getting the opportunity to hire the coach who just steamrolled his way through the NCAA tournament against, yeah. you know, powerhouse programs and just dominated them. Really hard to turn that down. Yeah. For me, I was hoping you wouldn't take him because that was my choice at number two. And now I have to make a decision between <laughs> honestly four coaches that I feel decently could go in this spot. I'm going to go with Sean Miller at Xavier, and I don't feel incredibly confident about that. I think that whoever you take next is probably somebody that I was considering here in this spot. But Sean Miller's uh, ability as a recruiter, his ability as an X's and O's head coach, I mean, you look at his success rates, he's won nearly 75% of the games he's coached, and he has coached at a premier level. I know that Xavier was in the A-10 when he was first coaching there. But other than that, he's been a power six head coach uh, at Arizona, of course, last year with Xavier, led them to 27 wins. The recruiting has been top notch for him. I know that there were some, you know, some issues with his recruiting at Arizona. And there's that's not a conversation that's uh, that, that is a conversation we'll have about other coaches here as well. But for Miller, the X's and O's are great. The offensive creativity is great. What he did at Xavier last year was great. And for me, just looking at the whole package of what he brings, um, knowing there are a little bit of warts there, um, I think Sean Miller is a fantastic coach, and I'd be happy to have him coach in my program. 
Yeah. And that's where I think things get interesting too with Miller because the highs have been so high. The lows mm-hmm. have been, yeah, you know, and it's, there's been some rough years in there. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I like the ticket too. I'm glad you made it though, because mm-hmm. at pick three, I feel really, really good with the guy I'm getting. Mm-hmm. That's Shaka Smart. Yeah. I love Shaka Smart. Mm-hmm. He's a program builder. He gets the most out of his players and, I think when, if we're comparing him to Dan Hurley here, Hurley is a guy who, you know, you're just, he brings in the recruits and mm-hmm. you're going to get a crazy amount of success under him. And the other thing, if you're an athletic director, you want to get kind of bang for your buck and what yeah. Shaka has done with guys who aren't the premier recruits, fitting them into a system is incredible. Winning the Big East regular season and Big East tournament last year with a whole bunch of guys who were, you know, there's only there's only one guy going to the NBA from that group and Omax Prosper from last year mm-hmm. and what they did. I think there's questions about NCAA tournament success. You know, Shaka went to the Final Four all those years ago with VCU, hasn't made it out of the first weekend since. And I think that's a, a fair criticism to levy against him, but a lot of regular season success there, even with some small programs. I'm going to dismiss what happened at Texas because I don't think that was a good culture fit for him. And mm-hmm. I think he kind of got pushed into recruiting guys who didn't fit his system. Yeah. When Shaka Smart recruits guys that fit his system, and can do so at a power conference level. I think he's one of the best coaches in the country, and I think it's, I think it's bad luck that he hasn't gotten through in the tournament. I think that's really all that is. Um, so yeah, let me ride the shock of smart and the energy that he brings to a program. It's going to bring in some money with the donors. You're going to get bang for your buck on the recruiting. You're going to get a lot of wins. If I'm an athletic director. I'm all over that. Yeah, Shaka was was. Right there for me between him and Miller, uh, the the lack of NCAA tournament success was a factor, although there are some questions about that with Sean Miller as well. Um, but yeah, Shaka's ability when he's getting the guys he wants to get when he kind of has that autonomy to run a program. I mean, we saw the results last year for a team that was not expected to do well in the uh, in the mm-hmm. Big East to do what they did and to return so much talent. I mean, this is a program that is continuing to be on the rise with Shaka at the helm. So I got three guys that I'm looking at here, um, and I'm going to go with the old head. I'm going to go with the guy with the NCAA tournament success, with the Hall of Fame resume, uh, with Rick Pitino at St. John's, uh, of course. I mean, you talk about if, if you were a blank slate hiring a coach to, to start a program from scratch, I mean, Pitino is, basically did that when he took over at St. John's. He said, I don't really want any of this, and took outside of Joel Soriano, basically redid the entire roster. Uh, brought in a huge amount of talent, is continuing to do so with the recent addition of Chris Ledlam out of Harvard uh, via Tennessee. And I, I think that Patino, you know, the, the risk here if, in this theoretical exercise would be that Patino is pretty old and is not necessarily going to be the guy leading your program for more than probably a half decade at most. But the foundation that he's going to lay, I mean, we're going to see it at St. John's and what he's going to do to potentially put that program in a position where even after his departure, there a good chance that they will be able to to maintain relevancy going forward. Uh, we'll see how you know how that shakes out. But but for me, Patino's X's and O's, his recruiting prowess, his NCAA tournament success is really hard to ignore, even if there are obvious concerns with his age and just you know the longevity of, for how long he's going to be on that sideline. I think what he's going to do in the short amount of time you'd get is worth hiring him here, even with some really good coaches still on the board. Yeah, I fully agree. And I think uh, if Rick Pitino is 50 and not 70, he goes mm-hmm. number one yeah. in this draft. And it's not a it's not a question. Age mm-hmm. and the amount of time you get him for, I think, is the the real question mark there. Um, 
and now at, at least uh, this is this is where I think we get to a tough a tough decision mm-hmm. at this point on the board. So I'm looking at Ed Cooley, mm-hmm. and I'm looking at Greg McDermott, yeah. and I also find this funny because we're a year just over a year removed from these two guys being the mainstays of the Big East with Jay mm-hmm. Wright retiring yeah. and you see the way that the conference has changed in the mm-hmm. the months since then and i think it's it's crazy um man it's it's so hard to pick between these two i'm going to take ed cooley here mm-hmm. if i'm an ad because i think i have a little bit more confidence in the marketing side of things yeah. and what he does for the school as a whole and the athletic department as a whole the way he hypes up some of your other programs not that Greg McDermott's bad at that. They're both fantastic. Right. I think these are very, very level coaches. I think we've also consistently seen Ed Cooley get good results with low-rated recruits. I think, if anything, the questions about Cooley have been his ability to harness some of the high-level recruits and get the maximum out of them yeah. at the college level. But time in, time in, time again, he'll take three stars and make them play like guys who can be all conference players. I think he's really, really good at getting the most out of teams like that. You're never going to bottom out with Ed Cooley. You're always going to have a high energy guy as long as he, you know, stays in the program. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think that's, that's where you're nervous as an athletic director. And I think, you know, age is a little bit of a concern there. He's start, yeah. starting to get up there. But mm-hmm. um, I'll take Cooley over McDermott for this exercise. You made my job a lot easier because I, <laughs> yeah. as soon as I saw how this draft was going, I was like, well, I'm just going to pick whoever he doesn't pick here. And um, yeah, so, I mean, I'm going to roll with Greg McDermott here uh, for a lot of the reasons you said there. He, I mean, he, I think Cooley is a, is a logical choice in front of him. I think I probably would have made the, the, the same choice. Uh, McDermott has had uh, a ton of success at Creighton. He wasn't particularly great at Iowa state, but that was a tough place to, to be coaching at that time. Um, I, I think you look at the pretty consistent NCAA tournament uh, appearances that they've made out of Creighton uh, hasn't been as much success going deeper into the tournament as you would hope uh, with Creighton. But obviously they've had some some really incredible peaks uh, at kind of at the turn of the decade right before right around when they joined the Big East right before they joined the Big East, I think. And, and obviously recently we've seen a lot of success. And I think even going forward with this program, you know, Losing Ryan Nemhard was tough, but they bring in a, a high-profile player in Stephen Ashworth to help replace. Yeah. They keep Ryan Kalkbrenner, keep Trey Alexander, keep Baylor Shireman. Like this program is continuing to to succeed, and I think Creighton is uh, he has really built Creighton into a consistent NCAA tournament high-profile program, and that's a really hard thing to do. And I think McDermott der- deserves a lot of credit for that. And I think that uh, it's pretty wild uh, most conferences greg mcdermott would not be this far down <laughs> on your list no. of head coach power rankings and i think that says it doesn't say much about mcdermott as much as it says a lot about just the strength of the coaches that are in this conference right now he goes sixth i mean that is that's wild yeah that he's considered yeah. the sixth best coach i mean other people will disagree but you know he's in he's he's in the four five six range for the big east and that's pretty incredible considering the success that he's had and I want to, I mean, you talk about the success he's had recently. You also got to talk about how he's had these high-powered offenses throughout his entire career. Yeah. In the last couple of years, it's the defense. His ability to scheme it up at both ends of the floor and win in different ways is incredibly, incredibly impressive. So, yeah, at Cooley or McDermott at this point, you can't go wrong with either one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're leaving me with a, a tough spot yeah. here. This, at, is, where, at this is where there's like a big divide, I feel like. Well, and I think I just to, to overview the, the next four coaches on my board here, mm-hmm. three are young up yeah. and comers. And mm-hmm. you also got Thad Mata in there, a guy mm-hmm. with a ton of historic success where mm-hmm. it didn't necessarily show last year. And it's hard to tell what exactly 
he's bringing right now. It's hard to tell exactly how good of a coach he is in the modern environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and weighing those different factors is tough. When I look at these guys, the guy I'm going to put on top right now is the guy who's had the most recent tournament success, mm-hmm. and that's Shaheen Holloway. Okay. There's still All a lot right. of question marks about what around what he does, but you know his teams are going to play defense, and you know he can beat big opponents. Uh, I think we saw Seton Hall improve throughout the year last year, and I think he's the kind of guy where when he has guys that buy into his system, he can be a truly great coach. So I think it's tough taking Shaheen Holloway over some of the other guys on this list right mm-hmm. now, but um, I'll pull the trigger on it. I'm, I'm still buying on Shaw. Yeah, I, I, I'm a huge Shaheen Holloway fan, and I, I hope that uh, my co-host Isaac Shade is listening and laughing at the fact that I didn't get Shaheen because I have talked him up so much <laughs> on this podcast uh, in the past, and I think this is probably where I would have taken him. Uh, because you're, you're right, he has had NCAA tournament success, and he uh, hard to judge him after one year when he's still kind of getting his guys into the program. And I think mm-hmm. we'll see, you know, how this shakes out for him going forward. But I, I have some confidence that it's going to be hard. Seton Hall is a, a tough program, and the Big East is really good right now. But it'll be interesting to see if he can build it going forward. And, and now I'm kind of looking at the same situation you're looking at here, my friend, of like which of these young coaches do I want to take? Do I want to go with Mata? And uh, kind of trying to trying to balance it. And I think. Oh man, I think I'm going to go with Kyle Neptune and I don't feel incredibly confident about it because mm-hmm. I, Kim English has had uh, obviously had a lot of success at George Mason. We just haven't seen him coach uh, at a higher level yet. Uh, I think mm-hmm. after one season, there's a chance that we will feel a lot different about Kim English, depending on what happens uh, with the Friars. But right now I think I'm going to lean with Neptune. I think we saw some some good things from Villanova down the stretch last year. I think a lot of what happened with them uh, was injury related. Early season injuries really hurt them with Whitmore and Moore and, and everything. And, and I think uh, there's a chance that we'll see Villanova kind of start to right the ship this year. They still got a, a pretty big uphill battle with the, the talent at the top of the conference, but uh, I am cautiously optimistic on Kyle Neptune and what he can do at Villanova. And I think if I was had the opportunity to bring him in and, and kind of start him over, I think that there's a good chance that things are going to go well for him. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the jury is still very much out on what he can do. Um, and it's really hard to replace a coach like Jay Wright. Yeah, that's very, very big shoes that he yeah. is, is stepping into. They are on the main line. And I agree. I thought, thought we saw improvement throughout the year. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that you've left Kim English here for me because <laughs> after picking – after picking Dan Hurley at one and Ed Cooley at five, uh, mm-hmm. the Providence fans are probably going to be pretty mad at me here. So let me let me redeem myself here. <laughs> Kim English at uh, number nine here may just be the steal of the Big East coaches draft. It might be. You talk about buying buying low, I guess, on somebody. He's still so early in his career, and the ceiling is so high for what Kim English can do. You can already see his recruiting presence. Um, mm-hmm. I was reading. Uh, quotes from one one recruit in the class of 2024 the other day and one of the things he the thing he said about providence was their coach has been in the nba before and he knows how to do it yeah that's something that resonates with recruits and you're not going to find in with a lot of these guys who are coaching right now kim english brings that to the table he understands the modern game he recruits well he's a great figurehead for a program we haven't seen it translate for the X's and O's at a power program yet. And that's the only reason he's still on the board. There's a world where we come back and we do this in 12 months or 24 months or 36 months. <laughs> and he's one of the top two or three guys taken because they're getting a young coach with proven success at that point. We'll see if that comes. But getting a coach like him, I mean, if I was 
if I was starting a program right now and Kim English was the coach that I landed, I would feel very, very, very good about it. So getting him this far down, I think, is uh, it's a nice win. It's crazy to me. I mean, I, I think it, most programs would feel very good about hiring Kim English and for him to be, yeah. like you said, this low on the list. Uh, I think we're kind of finally at the point here in the draft with two two spots left where, you know, these are maybe not coaches that I would feel incredibly confident about hiring at this point. Um, I am going to go with Mata here for my final pick um, mm -hmm. because he's had a ton of success. I mean, a really quick look at his record. I mean, he's won almost 72 and a half percent of the games he's coached historically. And it's really hard to ignore somebody who's had tremendous NCAA tournament success. I mean, his team has been ranked number one in the entire country when he was at Ohio State multiple times. Like this is a coach who has done it at the game's absolute highest levels a long time ago. And his recent foray back at Butler wasn't very good. It's hard to judge him based on one year, but I mean, I'm kind of with you. I'm not sure that the modern college basketball game is necessarily a fit for, for what Mata's doing right now and his adjustments to, you know, coming back after a seven year hiatus. Uh, you know, I think there's some some serious question marks there. How how long is he going to last at Butler? Uh, is he have the ability to turn this program around? I know Butler is not a super easy job to take over from where they were at the time, but you know, it, it didn't look great last year. And I think there's definitely some concern about what this is going to look like going forward. But uh, I mean, this is a man who's won a whole heck of a lot of college basketball games in his career. So I wouldn't be yeah. too quick to bet against him turning things around at Butler. Although I am more cautious about this than I'd feel about most of the other coaches in the conference. Yeah. And anytime you can get a guy with that track record, I mean, I think yeah. you got to feel at least somewhat good about that. I think the questions you brought up are very valid, but you know, this is, we're talking 10th and 11th coaches in the conference here. This is, that's very good for a 10th mm -hmm. coach and 11th, the last pick here. I'm taking T Tony Stubblefield from DePaul. Mm -hmm. uh, he's had a rough go of it. in his two years with the blue demons. Um, 15 and 16 record his first year it dropped to 10 and 23 yeah. last year, which had a lot to do with injuries. This team was had no centers because of injury for mm -hmm. large stretches of the season. And once they got healthy, it was like they were trying to put a team together on the fly because the guys hadn't played together and mm -hmm. they got healthy, you know, and they played their toughest opponents in big East play. I'm still optimistic about Tony Stubblefield. He has a ton of experience coaching. He's been an assistant for a long time, was an assistant at Oregon for a long time. And I think with some of the right players and right guys around him and a healthy team, he's a guy who can be a good coach. We haven't mm -hmm. seen that play out yet, but I think that's, you know, DePaul's a tough program and he's gotten unlucky and it's a tough hill to climb there. I won't be shocked if we come back and do this again. And, mm -hmm. you know, some of those younger coaches we talked about flamed out. Thad mm -hmm. Mata maybe is is not, his game has passed him by at this point. Mm -hmm. And Tony Stubblefield is, is seventh or eighth right. next year. Um, I think he still has a ceiling, so I'm buying on him. And I mean, he's I I still I don't even feel bad about bringing him in as a guy to head a program. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, most conferences, whoever is the last in an exercise like this is probably not a coach that anybody's going to want. But Stubblefield has some appeal. I mean, he's yeah. again an, an overall look at his his career record is bad, but it's I mean, he went two and twelve in a tiny stint as the head coach at New Mexico State a long time ago. I'm not really going to hold that against him. No. Uh, and DePaul's a really hard place to coach and dealing with injuries yeah. last year was was uh, a big challenge for them. So I, I again, I think that 
this conference top to bottom from a coaching perspective. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to advocate for stubble field over anybody at the very top, but like there's a lot of talent all the way through. And I think that's why you see this conference continue to be such a challenge in the regular season and no games, you're not really taking any games off. And, and I think it's, it's what makes it so dang fun to watch uh, and, yeah. and fun to cover. I'm sure for you, Matt, and, and for your, <laughs> oh, your team over at <laughs> road to the garden, because this is a, this is a conference that just is unrelentlessly fun uh, in the college basketball landscape. Yeah, and I don't know, four or five, six of those coaches we just named are yeah. going to lose more games than they win yeah. in conference wow. play. Uh, there's some good names, and that's uh, that's, that's the business too. Um, yeah. That's where I look at I look at those picks we made at seven, eight, and nine: Shaheen mm-hmm. Holloway, Kyle Neptune, and Kim English, the three young up and comers. Right. It's not going to work out for all three of them. I don't mm-hmm. think it rarely does. And there's only so many wins to go around. I, right. Not all three of those guys are going to come away with a winning record. So if we're looking ahead to next season, that's the spot in these rankings in this draft where I'm really looking um, with a curious eye towards the mm-hmm. next uh, the next 12 months. Well, Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. Always appreciate having your expertise and insight. And that is going to wrap us up here on the Lockdown College Basketball Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to jump on the show. Thank you to all of you listening, uh, watching on YouTube. Shout out to those everyday listeners as well. We got more fun stuff coming your way later this week. We'll break down the Maui Invitational. We'll talk about any other transfer deals that are coming your way. That's going to do it for us today. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, peace out.